I'm going to ask you guys to do something uncomfortable. Turn to the person beside you and like, ask them how they are doing. Just say, how are you doing? I know, isn't it like the weirdest thing ever? Um, they're literally, oh, I see. Hey, I need, hey, Eric, if you turn around. Um, yeah, there you go. How, thank you. Um, yeah, like, isn't that one of those, like, when I started asking you guys, a few of you panicked just a little. In fact, some of you chose to come to this church because we don't have a time where you're supposed to walk around and talk to people. Like, like there are those of you who specifically chose Fellowship Asheville because you don't have a meet and greet time. But I was thinking the other day, I've never attended a concert where I didn't talk to the person right here. Even if it's not my friend or any, you know, if you're at a concert, you're crammed together, you, you kind of need to get to know them because you'll be running into each other the entire show. I've never attended a sporting event where you don't start to talk to the person that's closest to you. Isn't it weird that we kind of have a little bit of discomfort in church about that? So we ask ourselves that question all the time, but don't raise your hands. Who here actually thinks about your reply before you say you're fine or you're good or everything's great? Like, do we really think about the reply and give people a fair reply, like an honest reply? If you're like me, I normally say I'm doing fine um, because it's very ambiguous. Like, fine could be good fine or not great fine or... Or it's up for interpretation. But, but I, and if you're feeling guilty right now that you lied to the person that asked you, I'm sure they forgive you. Um, we do it to each other all the time. Um, it's just one of those things. But isn't that such an interesting question? It's so ingrained and so a part of our talking and our, how we get to know each other, or maybe even how we say, like, how are you? And, like, and, and we don't even really think about the answer. So, I wanted us to think about that answer today. If someone asked you that the next time they ask you, you would probably think about the answer. Like really, if they asked me my current status, what would you reply to them? And you know, let's assume this is a person you can trust, a person you can open up to. But if someone asked you, how are you? What would you tell them honestly? And so just pause for just a second and think about that. What's the answer to that? What are you dealing with? Um, what's worrying you? What are you putting a lot of attention to? What maybe is keeping you up at night or waking you up early? Um, what are you stressing about? What are you really happy about? What is your current... ...ality? So I met this guy probably 15 years ago now. Instead of asking the cliche, he is, what is your current reality? And he used to always ask me this, what is your current reality? And this is a really great question because it's not even just a question about how you're doing personally, like work-wise, what's your current reality? Relationship-wise, what's your current reality? Because it's worth pausing on a consistent time and asking yourselves, what is your current reality? Where are you at? And so what we've been doing is in Hebrews, we've been 
preaching through this text or teaching through this text and looking at Hebrews and this writer or this preacher to the Hebrews is basically asking them, where are you at? What's your reality? And so today we get this really, um, it's just a strange text to be honest with you, but he's, he's been building and building and asking them, what's your current reality? How are you doing? So we'll be in Hebrews chapter 10. We'll start at verse 26 today. And we're going to ask ourselves, like throughout this text, while the writer, the author, the preacher is addressing this with this group of people, we want to look at that and then ask ourselves the same question. But remember, Jesus takes your reality and he is, he is cared for that. So if you've maybe, if that question's got you a little bummed out, Jesus is over that. He's got that cared for. And so let's, um, let, if you take notes, there are three pieces we're going to talk about today. The first is a, this writer and author, just, he's, just like, he's like, let's get the hard part done with, and he warns you. Then he reminds you of, of some truths. So if you're flowing, we're going to have some bad news up front, some, some hard realities to deal with up front. Then the good news, he's going to remind you of what God has done for you. And then finally, we're going to leave here today with an encouragement of what we're supposed to do. So let's go ahead and start in verse 26. And I remember as a child riding home from church one day, calling up to my parents in the front seat, Mom and Dad, what can you do? Or, like, is there anything you can do to not be saved? Now I'm like six, so I'm thinking of the things I was thinking of wouldn't be on that list of replies, but isn't that such an interesting question? What can we do that once we are saved, we would lose that salvation? And I know I've got people freaking out right now. Methodists are going one way, and the Presbyterians are going another way, and then there's people here who you don't even have a clue who, who chooses what, and that's a beautiful place to be. But this is one of those questions that comes up in the church on a regular basis, and so we've got to address it. And the writer here, he just jumps right in here. And so we're going to read this text, we'll unpack this text, and hopefully leave with an answer about this. Um, but if you, uh, so in, let's just jump in. There's my disclaimer of the day. He goes, for if we continue to sin on purpose after receiving the knowledge of truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin. Everybody just say, whoa. He goes, but, so we trade the sacrifice for sin for a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. That's like, whoa, again. So let's just pause there. And just, it says, for if we continue to sin intentionally, 
once we have received knowledge of truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice of sin. Now, it's really easy to take this verse and let it be by itself. But remember, all of Hebrews, all 10 up till now, the writer and the author, the preacher has continued to say, like, you've heard the truth. You once were a Jew in the temple and you've heard the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ And they're on this verge of going back to what they used to do. This isn't like this lady is making poor choices. And no, no, he's he's literally confronting them. These Jewish people are are, are tempted to return back to the faith they used to have in the temple and the sacrifice. So it's really important to put this into context. First of all, this isn't a one-time thing. This isn't even a 10-time thing. This is a conscious choice they're choosing to make about, I will take Jesus. I've heard about the gospel and message of Jesus Christ. I will intentionally choose to set it aside and return to, and check this part out, what makes me comfortable, what I find peace in, what is easy for me to do because let's be completely real and we'll dig into this further following Jesus can be tough because not only have we got external influences on us yet internal as well not only have we got the temptations out there but these things in our flesh are crying out I've always laughed people are like I don't know if people like aren't are I don't know if a person is a child is sinful. And I always laugh. I'm like, have you ever raised a two-year-old? Like, they're cute and they're sinful. And they do things that you don't even teach them. And they're bad. And, but, but we know, like, like, God loves them and redeems them. And I like kids. I like my kids. Um, <laughs> but, no, I teach the third grade small group. I really do enjoy them. But it's so interesting that, that like, um, we, we, we have it. And so I say all that to say it, it really is a challenge to follow Jesus day in and day out. And we think, you know, if you've ever walked up to receive Christ or, or done it at VBS or there in your seats or anyway, you recall the time that you made that profession of faith. And at that point in your life, that was one of the hardest choices because you had to count the cost of following Jesus. But the reality is that first choice was, was it was the most simple choice. It's the choices we have to continue to say, I'll continue to die to myself in this sanctification process. So what he's saying, he's warning them, is like, like you're counting the cost right now. Now, let's play this out. If they go back to Judaism, die on the first day, are they going to heaven? If they die on the second day, return to heaven? You know, that's when it gets super tricky. But isn't that so strange that we ask ourselves as, as Christians, how close to the fire can we go until we get burnt? Um, so when you're a kid, your mom tells you don't play at the stove. The stove is hot. Yet without a doubt, you get your hand a little closer to the stove and a little closer to the stove and a little closer to the stove. And then you learn that it's hot by burning yourself. Now, fortunately, on the stove, the first time you get burnt, typically it's not that bad. Yet who remembers in the car that lighter thing? You, you push it in. And it comes out and it's glowing, flaming hot, but the stove wasn't that hot. And so you touch it, or was that just me? (laughs) And I had that circle imprint on my pointer finger for months. 
But isn't it so goofy that, that like our first thought is, okay, how far can we go from God before we lose our salvation? But isn't like that even just the wrong question? Um, my kid, little girl was three maybe, roaming around the backyard in West Asheville. And we're out front and she comes up and says, I kissed a snake. And I thought it was that rhyme um, that goes, uh, made a mistake and kissed a snake. I thought she was telling me this. And, and so um, she's three, but she could talk really well. So we're like trying to find, no, you, you, you kissed a stick or you kissed, uh, and like she insists, I kissed a snake. So I said, take me to this snake. So she takes me to the backyard, lifts up a rock, and there's a snake. It's little, it's baby, and I'm like, okay, it's dead. She kissed a dead snake, (laughs) which is gross, but at least she's not going to (laughs) die. And I pick it up, and it's not dead. And she thought it would be appropriate to get a snake, and I don't care if it's not poisonous or not, like, let's just be careful with snakes, right? I mean, they're fine, I don't mind them, but let's not, let's, let's not kiss them. <laughs> you know, what she thought was her friend wasn't. And, and so that's our relate, like, as we think about, like, I know there's those here who are, who are asking themselves, is the sin I've done removed me from Jesus Christ? And I'm here to tell you, I don't think so. I don't think the Bible teaches that, and I'll explain that. Matthew 22 talks about this same idea. And essentially, as far as I can, I can figure out, it's a lifetime against God is the sin that he can't forgive. It's not a one-time deal. It's not a lifetime pattern. It's not a habitual thing you continue to deal with. But as far as I can discern, it's just this lifetime of living against God. And I think just the logical reality is this. He doesn't want you in heaven with him if you don't want to be there. Like, he doesn't take captives to heaven with him. And I think that's just that point. And we could debate this. And if you're the person who likes to debate this, I'm not big into it. But we can have coffee and talk about it. That could be fun. But, but it's just one of those. As far as I can discern, that's what's happened here. But I think there's those of here asking the question, is what I've done removed me from the grace and the gospel and the salvation of Jesus Christ? And I don't think so. But isn't it strange? Our question is, how comfortable can we get with sin before we're too comfortable? But the reality is, and let's keep on here, and this will answer a few of these questions. Because then he goes on, he goes, he, he talks about then like what used to happen in like Old Testament. He goes, whoever took the law of Moses and set it aside will die without mercy at the evidence of witnesses. So, so he's telling you, even then, even in your previous way if you took the law and set it aside and died you would die without mercy basically you're taking the the lifestyle that him and his salvation has passed down to us and set it aside and say I don't want that but then we go on he goes how much worse will the punishment do you think will be the one and check these words out because we'd like, okay, my sin, it's between me, it's only hurting myself, 
It's only, it might be between me and that person, but he goes, check these words out. Who has trampled the son of God, trampled, who has profaned the blood of the covenant, and then it's outraged the spirit of grace. Now, I don't know about you, words like trampled and profaned and outraged are really tough words. And the author didn't choose these by accident. And so as you process this, as you, there are those here that I know that are wrestling with this peace. And, 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 and let me say this as a church, we should never be surprised when a brother or sister in Christ comes to us and say, hey, I'm struggling with sin. Like that should not surprise us. It should not make us afraid. It should not make us want to condemn them or judge them. It should make us want to say, thank you for telling me that. Now let's walk through this together. The church should not be a place where we have to keep our sins secrets, but instead we hold each other accountable to them if we want that. And so please know I don't come today in voice of a condemnation, but instead of a voice of salvation in Jesus Christ. And so he goes on and goes, um, he goes, you're trading the uh, truth, the the knowledge of truth, the sacrifice of sin for judgment. And I don't even have time to get into judgments in the Bible and what that looks like. Just know each and every one of us will be judged one day. Christians and the non-Christians, the Christians, the followers of Jesus, have Jesus Christ there to intercede for us. No judgment will come upon us. It, I, I, I've mentioned this before, this life is as hard as it gets for a follower of Jesus. That's comforting to me. So then we have to keep going on or all the kids, workers downstairs might hate me. So let's keep on um, in 32. He goes, recall days previous after you were in Titan, you went through a hard struggle with suffering, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, sometimes being um, a friend of those who were also treated that way. For you had compassion on those in prison and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. It says a plundering of your property. This to me is the guy across the street cuts the grass and leaves his clippings in the road. And then it rains and they wash in my mulch and my flower beds. He is plundering my property. (laughs) That guy. But back then, the first century, like their, their property was literally being plundered. Now, this church being addressed weren't being killed, but they were hearing of other Christians in other places being killed for their faith. And these Jews are teetering, like, go back to Judaism and we'll be all right. The persecution from the Romans will go away. The persecutions from the Jews will go away. We'll be good to go. And so this writer is encouraging them, like, remember when you received this 
faith, this salvation for the first time, and people were persecuting you, yet you were joyful about it, and then you, you were hearing about people like you being killed in other places, and then you began to hear about property being taken away from the Jewish people, but you were okay with that, and here's why. It says in... Um, uh, 34, it says, um, you knew you had a better possession and, and one that lived, that abided. Basically, the Jews were having their property taken. They were being rounded up and kicked out of towns. They were had accumulated possessions and they were being taken away and, and this was happening, but they were joyful about it because they knew the possession they had in Jesus Christ was greater. And then, and I just want to go through this quickly, in chapter 10, before we got to these verses, there was a list of things that you as a follower had. Because remember how I asked you that question, how are you doing, what's your reality, what's your current reality right now? And you answer that question. I just wanted to remind you, Jesus is greater than your current reality. Um, your current reality, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you are Saved and sanctified and represented at the judgment. You are sealed by him. And then it's said in chapter 10, it says, you have confidence to enter the holy places. When's the last time you entered into the presence of God with confidence? Like walked right in and said, Jesus, you've died for me and saved me. I belong in your presence right now. But that's what the scripture tells us that we have if we are a follower of Jesus. It says that we have, it's a high priest, a great priest there for us. It says we can draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. Like, isn't that just the most beautiful picture when we walk to God? whether it be in our cars when we're praying, in our favorite comfortable chair at the house when we begin to read the scriptures, it says we can draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. Not because of what you've done or what you failed to do. The, the voice of condemnation is not from Jesus Christ. It says then it encourages us to hold, wants us to draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. It says then it encourages us to hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. And then let us consider how to stir each other up with love and good works. Then finally, and this is where it gets a little, because we've talked about warning, we've been reminded of who we are in the promises of Jesus Christ, and then this chapter ends kind of funny. So one of my hobbies used to be running. I used to like it a lot. I still do it now, but it's not a hobby. It's a discipline. Um, yeah, a lot of you are like, yeah, I heard that. Um, but one, then I got into like long distance stuff and like ultra distances. And then I started to meet people who would run 100 miles at a time. 100 miles at a time. Well, what they often do is have a crew there to help them out. And like the crew is there to like help feed them or make sure they're drinking enough or help whatever they need to do and run with them at times and stuff like that. And so the whole goal is to keep your endurance 
to make them able to endure the distance. And at that distance, a lot of people are just there to see how much pain they can endure. And a lot of you are thinking, that's the dumbest hobby ever. I agree. That's why I don't do it anymore. Um, It's a lot of fun. But it's this endurance. And so ultimately, and let's read this so you know I'm not making this up. It it, it says this, um, therefore, in 35, therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. And that confidence is Jesus Christ, by the way. For you have the need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet for a little while, the coming one will come and will not postpone. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if if he shrinks back, I have no pleasure in him. Basically, what he's saying is this, the one who endures is the one who, see, who is the prize. So literally, my job today is says, go to endure this walk with Jesus Christ. And you're like, that's not helpful at all. That's like me looking at you and say, be tougher. And you're kind of like, if I could be tougher, I'd already be tougher. I'm not tougher. Like, like I can't. And that's like me saying, spiritually endure this. And you're like, I'm trying. Next week is the faith chapter, Hebrews 11, the faith chapter. And it's one of the most beautiful of all. But I don't want you to have to wait till next week. You know, because I, want, I think there are those of you who are like, okay, I've been warned and I'm in the warned camp. And then there's those of you who needed to be encouraged today and you're in the encouragement camp. And then hopefully we can all leave here today with um, this idea to endure. Mm. Matthew chapter 6 is where I'm going to leave us today. Matthew 6. And a lot of you are going to know what I'm going to say. But I think if I have to leave you with one truth rather than try harder, because it isn't the gospel, it's just not about that. Like, like the, the free gift of God is Jesus Christ. You know, it doesn't say anything about working harder, but we also know the process of sanctification and dying to oneself is difficult. Because we deal with it every day. So if you're leaving here today, you're now, what do I do? I was praying through and I thought of this. I want to leave you with this idea. Then we're going to take the Lord's Supper, which is just a fantastic thing. Because remember, as we like, go through this, endure this, he endured first. And we are the disciples and followers of a person, man, God become man, who lived a life, endured it as well, I'm to the point of death on the cross. But here it is, Matthew six thirty three. It says, but seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will then be added unto you. And so as you go out, my word to you isn't try harder, but it's to seek first the kingdom. Make this a a discipline in your life. Wake up and seek the kingdom. And when you get distracted, remind yourself, no, I'm going to seek the kingdom today. And as you derail off your good intentions, because that's what will happen maybe five minutes after church, maybe five days after church. But at some point this week, it's going to happen. Your intentions won't be enough to keep you acting right. 
will default to, you know, I'm going to let the Spirit speak to me and live through me. I'm going to surrender to the grace that's there and seek first the kingdom. Let's pray. Jesus, we do thank you for what you've done. We thank you for death on the cross. Lord, we thank you that, that it's not about um, how hard we try. God, it's not about um, like effort we put out, God, that you've saved us regardless. And Lord, like our salvation is not dependent on how we act and do, but God, you have called us into holiness, and we don't want to miss that either. And so, God, we just want now, as we come to the table with the bread and the juice, we, we want to just remember the sacrifice that you gave for us, that you made salvation possible. You took the old covenant and put it aside and created this new covenant sealed in your blood and bought with your flesh. And so, God, we give this time to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.